highest of heights to the depths of the sea. Now Asa comes into the picture now that Abijam dies and um, a very short reign. But in the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, uh, Asa became king over Judah. And Asa reigned from 911 B.C. till 870 B.C. Every creature is unique in the song that it sings. All exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All powerful, untamable, all struck with Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. After Abijam's brief reign, Asa became king of Judah. The great-grandson of Solomon took the throne of Judah, which was also at the end of Jeroboam's reign in Israel. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David. The kings of Judah were usually measured against David, the founder of their dynasty. In contrast to his father Abijam, Asa followed in the same heart as David. The phrase, his father David, shows us that in the Hebrew literature, the word father can be used for an ancestor in general, instead of strictly referring to one's father. David was actually the great-great-grandfather of Asa. Now here's Pastor Rob. In the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah, and I think it's worth looking at. So, um, because we're going to see that there was a battle between Jeroboam, the king of the northern ten tribes, and Abijam, this king of the southern two tribes, and um, and they had war with one another. And Jeroboam, the ungodly king in the north, he had twice as many men, literally roughly eight hundred thousand men, versus Abijam's four four hundred thousand. And notice the speech, in spite of what we've already read about Abijam and how he, he, um, uh, that he continued, he walked in the sins of his father, but notice something that you will find in Second Chronicles, you won't find here, and it's a really wonderful thing. Let me read it to you. It says, then Abijah, he stood on Mount Zeremiah, um, which is in the mountains of Ephraim, and, and here he's going to war with Jeroboam, the, the, the king of the northern ten tribes. And he says, Hear me, Jeroboam, and all Jerusalem, or in all Israel, excuse me. Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the dominion over Israel to David forever? And that's a true statement. To him and his sons, that's a true statement, by a covenant of salt. And yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against his Lord. And then worthless rogues gathered to him and strengthened him themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. And when Rehoboam was young and inexperienced, it could not withstand them. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord, which is in the hand of the sons of David, and you are a great multitude, and with you are golden calves, which Jeroboam made for you as gods. Have you not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and made for yourselves priests like the the peoples of other lands, to that who that whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bull and seven rams may be a priest of things that are not of God's? And you know, as you hear what this man, Abijam, who is saying, 
regardless of him not following you know, David and actually doing evil things. And you, you look at what this man is saying, and you're like, that's right on, man. Keep going. So I will. Let's go. <laughs> so, but as for us, the Lord is our God, he says. And we have not forsaken him, and, and yet he did. But, and the priests who minister to the Lord are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites attended their duties, and they, they burned to the Lord every morning and every evening burnt sacrifice and sweet incense. And they also set the showbread in order on the, the pure uh, gold table and the lampstand of gold with its lamps to burn every evening. For we keep the command of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. That's kind of like the pot calling the kettle black, but just go along with it for now. O children of Israel, do not fight against the Lord God of your fathers, for you shall not prosper. And in that he was saying correctly. You're not going to prosper against God. But in verse 13 it says, But Jeroboam caused an ambush to go around behind them. So they were in front of Judah, and the ambush was behind them. And when Judah looked around, to their surprise, the battle line was at both the rear and in the front. And they cried, notice this, and they cried out to the Lord, and they, the priests sounded the trumpets. And then the men of Judah gave a shout as the men of Judah shouted. It happened that God struck Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. And the children of Israel, the northern ten tribes, they fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hand. And then Abijah and his people struck them with a great slaughter. So 500,000 choice men of Israel fell slain. And here's the verse. Thus, the children of Israel were subdued at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed because they relied on the Lord God of their fathers. Isn't that amazing? I find that amazing. Even though Abijah was already involved in idolatry and continuing down that road, finally he gets up the chutzpah and stands on top of the mountain in front of Jeroboam and all the, the, the Israel, the northern ten tribes, their armies, and he gives this speech. He's belting it out and he's giving this speech, which is all good. And God's going, I like it. Your heart's not quite there, but what you're saying is true. And I'm going to deliver you. And we're going to look at why I believe God did that. In fact, why did God deliver Abijam and Judah from Israel? Did they deserve it at this time? No, they didn't. Abijam didn't deserve it, neither did the people. Because we see that in the very first few verses of chapter 15, that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. But Abijam was inspired, obviously led by the Lord, and God heard the prayer, heard the speech, and he delivered them. So why did God do this? I believe it's because God is a God of grace. <laughs> and I also believe it's because God had uh, made promises to David and to Solomon that he would not break. God is a promise keeper, the real promise keeper. He is the only promise keeper. I break promises. In fact, I've learned not to even make promises to God, especially because I can't, I'm not capable of keeping them. But he is capable. Now, verse 18 that I just read to you gives us an answer of why God might have done this, but also because, like I said, the promises that God gave to David first and then to Solomon. And you may be asking yourself, well, what promise did God give to David? And you've heard me say this, but I'm going to share it with you again. It's 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 through 16, the Davidic covenant. And I'm just going to be brief in this, just from 12... Verse 12 through 16, 2 Samuel 7, verse 12 through 16. And this is what God spoke to David. 
long before Solomon, long before Abijam or anybody, or Rehoboam. He says, when your days are fulfilled, David, and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name. And obviously, God was speaking of Solomon, who hadn't been born, or if he had, he was very small. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men, but my mercy shall not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you, and notice, and your house, David, and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. God made it, he said it three times, your throne will be established forever. So now, what about the promise to Solomon? Because remember, there was David, Solomon, Rehoboam, and now Abijam. And Abijam's giving this great speech, and the speech was good, even though his performance was pretty, pretty poor, but God delivered them because of what he promised to David, which I just read to you, and now he does it because of the promise that God spoke to Solomon. It's in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 11 through 13. 1 Kings 11, verse 11 through 13, and this is what God spoke to Solomon. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this, and have not, and because remember, Solomon got engrossed into idolatry big time toward the latter part of his reign. Because you have done this, God says, and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. And he knew who that was. His servant was Jeroboam, for the sake of your father David. Nevertheless, I'm sorry, nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son, which is really Judah and Benjamin, uh, for the sake of my servant David again, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So God's promises are in play, in full display here, as Abijam is giving this speech to Jeroboam. God is delivering them. When they were outnumbered two to one, because of the speech that Abijam had given, which God, I'm sure, approved of, but now God's thinking, I've made a promise to your father, you know, to your grandfather and to your great-grandfather, and I'm going to be true to that promise, because my Messiah is going to come through the line of Judah, and that's ultimately, it's going to be cut off, you know, uh, before they went into captivity in Babylon, but he is coming yet again. Jesus was born, wasn't he? He came to the temple. They rejected him. They crucified him. They, he, he died on the cross. Three days later, he rose again, and then 40 days later, ascended into heaven. And the Bible tells us that he's coming back again in the future. After the rapture of the church, he's going to come back with us to the earth, and he's going to set up his reign on this earth in Jerusalem for a thousand years. And this, these prophecies will all be fulfilled at that time. And so there's a lot on the line here. And God is saying, I'm going to hold true to my promise. And notice, it says, Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord gave, gave him, David, a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him and by establishing Jerusalem. This idea of a lamp is literally a light. And it can mean a literal light or figuratively. And we see this mentioned previously when Ahijah the prophet spoke to Jeroboam in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 36. Um, I already read it this evening. 
uh, when Ahijah was speaking to Jeroboam in verse 36, it says, And to his son I will give one tribe that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem. So the lamp seems to mean a standard or a witness or a testimony, if you will. A lamp, a testimony, a light, a witness. And God would continue his promise to keep his promise that he made to David and will ultimately fulfill it when Jesus Christ comes back to the earth at the end of the great tribulation, we know. But I want to encourage you that we in the church also, we are to be a witness as well. We are to be a lamp to our generation. As David and his seed was going to be a lamp in Jerusalem, God has placed you and I as a lamp here on the earth until the church is removed. And and Jesus told us in Matthew 5, verse 13, he says, you, Jesus first said, I am the light of the world, right? But then he turned the tables and he says, but now you, disciples, you are the light of the world and you are salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. And see, that's what he wants us to be. We are a city set on a hill. And literally here in this area that we live or that we're occupying right now is on a hill. If you go about 50 feet off there, you're going to go off into a ditch. A hill. There's a hill, a big one. You're going to roll down and you may not recover, okay? It's pretty steep. We're on a hill. We're a city on a hill. And a city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify you. Glorify Calvary Chapel? No, that they may glorify your Father in heaven. It's all about Him. It's about glory to Jesus and the Father. It's all about Him. You know, and as I was reading this, it struck me, uh, and I remembered when we were going through the book of Revelation, and I remembered the first, uh, in the first chapter of Revelation, in, in, in verse 12, it says, John speaking, he says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to, the, uh, down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. And then it tells us, it, 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 it tells us what, these, what this, these seven lampstands are. In verse 20 of, of Revelation 1, it says, The mystery in, of, the, of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So Jesus is in the midst of his church. And that's the picture that you get in that first in, in 12 and 13. He is in the midst of his church. And they are the, the lampstands. They are the witness his spirit working in them, they are going to be a witness to the world around them. And then when you go to chapter 2 of Revelation, it says uh, to the church of Ephesus, he says, these things, says he who holds the seven stars in his hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. He walks in the midst of us. And we, the church, are to be those salt and light until the Lord removes us from the earth at the rapture. And we already looked at that very clearly shown us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18, very clearly shown to us in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58. 
Because our witness, our lamp will be taken from the earth. Think about that. When the rapture comes, the witness, our testimony, is going to be gone. And then the world is going to have, there's going to be nothing keeping all these bills being passed. I mean, it's going to, be, it's going to look like hell. It already is hell, but it's going to look a lot worse. When the church is removed, every foul thing is going to be fair game. And they're going to love it. They're finally going to be like, oh, I'm so glad we're free from these, these Bible-thumping, fundamental, pre-trib, pre-millennial people, these constitutional Republicans. I'm so glad they're out of here. Now, don't get me wrong. Let me just say a little thing here. I've got to do this. There, there are Democrats who are saved, and, and there are Republicans who are saved. And there's also Democrats and Republicans who are not saved. So having said that, because no doubt I'm going to get a phone call on that one. It'll be somebody on the radio. They'll call, they'll call them and go, we're not listening to that guy ever again. Um, but notice, when we are removed, the lamp, the light, the testimony of Christ, uh, at least in the church, is going to be removed. And then sometime in the middle of the great tribulation period, after the church is removed, it says something really interesting. You remember this. It says, Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court, which is the outside of the temple. Do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months or three and a half years. And I will give power, notice, to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days, which is, by the way, 42 months or three and a half years. And I will give power to them, and they will prophesy 1,260 1,260 days, again, three and a half months, clothed in sackcloth. And notice what it says in verse 4 of Revelation 11. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. The two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And so it goes on, it says in verse 7, that when they finish their testimony, the beast, notice, when they finish their testimony... The beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and ultimately kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, which is, by the way, Jerusalem, where also our Lord was crucified, just in case you don't know what that means, now you know. Then they arose, then arose people and tribes and tongues and nations to see their dead bodies, and after three days, three and a half, uh, after three and a half days, the breath of life entered them, and they stood on their feet. And God took them up. Their lampstand is going to be removed. Even during the great tribulation period, God's going to give them a witness, give them a testimony to listen to. But once, that t- once the time is up, he's going to take them up too. And oh my, things are really going to get wicked. Up to that point, things are already very wicked. But then once they leave, the witness is gone. And the lamp has departed. The lamp is gone. And see, that's, that's what this was all about. When he was saying that the lamp of David, my, my, the witness of, of David and his succeeding generations going down through uh, all the way to Jesus Christ, all of that was important. The witness of the line of Judah, of those kings, pointing toward ultimately Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the root of David, who everything is about. 
So back to verse 5, back in our text, says, Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and didn't turn aside from anything, except in the matter of uh, Uriah the Hittite. And, and I love the fact that God isn't partial concerning sin. He's not a respecter of persons. God will call sin, sin, and he, he doesn't play games like many people do in the church even, and even pastors. He doesn't play games and say, I have my favorites, I'm not going to punish them or, 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 or remove their lampstand in a will. Not their salvation per se, but remove their witness, their effectiveness, so it will just be extinguished. He doesn't play games with that, and neither should we. And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. Now, many manuscripts, you might want to write over Rehoboam. You might want to write Abijam, because that's really what it means. Uh, many of the um, Greek manuscripts, the majority of them, have Abijam there instead of Rehoboam. And that makes sense contextually with where we're looking at, and that's important. But notice in verse 7, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did, are they not written in the chronicles of the kings of Judah? Yes, they are. And I gave you the verses, and you can read them later. You can get more information about it. And so... Um, so Abijam rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, which is Zion. And if you go to Israel today, um, I, I think I forget how many years ago it was. Um, when I was there in uh, 2011, they had just a year or two prior to that. So probably around, I don't know, 2007, 2008, 2009, somewhere in that period, they discovered the, the, the southern, the southeastern um, portion of the Temple Mount. They started digging and they found Zion. Where David's palace was, where the, the, the tabernacle that David had built for the Ark of the Covenant that he brought into Jerusalem. That's where it all stood. And they've uncovered all this stuff now. Now they've got a whole big thing over it. You can go and you can visit. It's really amazing to see all these places where David was. This was palace. You're visiting his palace and you're seeing the ruins of it. It's amazing. So notice, now Asa comes into the picture now that Abijam dies and um, a very short reign. But in the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, uh, Asa became king over Judah. And Asa reigned from 911 B.C. till 870 B.C. And he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His grandmother's name was Maacah, the granddaughter of uh, Abishalom or Absalom. And Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, make note of Asa because he is the first good king of Judah after the kingdom had split up. You know, you know during David and, and, and Solomon, the kingdom was united, but after Solomon, the kingdom became divided. You know, with Jeroboam in the, in the north, northern ten tribes, and Rehoboam in the southern two tribes. But Asa was the first reformer king. He was the very first reformer king. He's the first one uh, after all this mess, and what a wonderful man this was. He reminds me a lot of Josiah, who we'll get to later on, another great reformer king, perhaps the best, Josiah. But now Asa, this reformer king, and he banished the perverted persons from the land, and he removed the idols that his father had made. And again, these perverted persons are male temple prostitutes that practice sodomy and prostitution and religious rituals. That's what they did. So these are evil people. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.